uh, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Now, that verse, I think, acts as a really helpful summary, not only to this passage, but, but pretty much to the whole of the book of Acts. If you were the youth, I'd kind of ask you to read it together with me, but you've got it, so that's fine, verse, uh, that one verse. And what we're going to do is pretty much unpack that verse using this passage this evening. But I want to ask you a question of that verse. Do you re- really believe that? I mean, do you really consider your life to be worth nothing to you? Uh, if you do, then of course, what others think of you matters very little. Self-interest, pride, they've got no part in your life, have they? Uh, well, maybe. Do you actually ever worry about what others think of you? you know, your appearance, how well you're doing at work, what car you drive, what house you rent or own, those kind of things. Do you worry what people think of you? Well, if you consider your life worth nothing to you, then your status, your credibility will, will matter very little. You won't fear any kind of reprisal, mockery, bullying if you tell others the gospel because whatever they do to your life, say about your life, it is worth nothing to you. Or is it? I mean, how can Paul really say this, I consider my life worth nothing to me. I mean, is he lying? I mean, can anyone really think so little of themselves in this world? Certainly, I don't know if you've been watching, I know it's finished now, but a few weeks back, The Apprentice, have you been watching that at all? Those kind of guys, those, those apprentice guys, they think quite a lot of themselves, don't they? Um, I, I don't know if you ever saw the introduction uh, to the series, and I think it it pops up at the beginning of every, every episode. You get a little montage of how they view themselves. And let me give you a little summary of some of their statements. This is one lady. Last year I set up a global business, literally with nothing. Um, I've worked with over 12 Nobel Prize winners in over 100 countries. This is the classic. Don't tell me the sky is the limit when there are footprints on the moon. Brilliant. Second, this is a guy now, he says this, I believe I can be the champion thoroughbred that this process requires. He was the Irish guy. And then there was that quite, quite smarmy guy, thought quite a lot of himself. He says this, I'm best of breed within my industry. I've got plenty of charisma, and yeah, I'm not bad looking. <laughs> and he finished, I'm one of a kind. Now I want you to imagine, okay, you're stood in a bar in London, uh, you are dressed in a, you know, your best suit, your lovely shoes, whatever it may be, and it's your university you know, friendship course group reunion. These kind of things go on, don't they? Uh, I guess I've, I've been to them, you've been to them. And you've been asked, as everyone else has, at this reunion, to, if you like, give a one-sentence summary of yourself, your achievements. Uh, I'm going to help you with this a little bit. Uh, of the following four statements, which would you rather say in front of your university mates in this bar. I have borrowed a few from The Apprentice. First statement. I set up a global business literally with nothing. Second statement. I am the champion thoroughbred in my industry. Third statement. I'm not bad looking. I'm one of a kind. (laughs) Fourth statement. I consider my life worth nothing to me. See, I'm not sure, I I don't know about you, but I think I'd really struggle to say number four. Uh, What about you? 
So why don't we just have a look about how and why Paul can say that. And I think the, the clues to that come in the first section of our, of our passage tonight, beginning at verse 17. So we're going to try and unpack that little statement, I consider my life worth nothing to me. Let's give a bit of context to begin with, verse 17, look at that. Paul there is 30 miles north of his beloved um, church in Ephesus, which we've been looking at in our small groups. He's in this port city called Miletus. It would have taken the elders of the church in Ephesus to walk there about two days. It's a very windy road down to this coastal uh, town. But look at what Paul reminds them about. And, and notice this is a speech from Paul. It's actually the only speech in the book of Acts delivered directly to Christians. All the rest have been to Jews, Gentiles, religious leaders, civil leaders. But look at what he reminds them about. Notice the focus, okay? He's telling Christians, Christians, leaders that he loves, he's telling them the essence of his life and his work. Why? Because he's about to leave them, we see at the end. And in him leaving, he wants them to um, be reminded and to keep going with the gospel and for the gospel. And the privilege that we've got right now is that we're listening in to this apostolic speech so that we can keep going being defined by the gospel and keep going proclaiming this gospel. Look at verse 18. When they arrived, that's the Ephesian elders, he said to them, you know, he's asking, remember, you know this, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you, from the first day I came into the province of Asia. See, he's asking these elders, he's not trying to deceive them, he's asking, you remember this, recall in your minds my life and ministry amongst you. And what do they remember? What does Paul remind them of in his ministry amongst them? Well, here's a, a sub-point. It's not in your outlines, but you can write it down. He served his Lord and not himself. That's what they see in his life. He served his Lord and not himself. I, I don't know about you, but if you serve your, yourself, you do everything for your pleasure, gain and glory like most around us. If you only speak highly of yourself and just belittle others, but... Oh, we do speak highly of others, but just to flatter. And that makes us look good anyway, doesn't it? You know, if it's all you, then you will think very highly of yourself. But look at how Paul lived and served amongst the Ephesians. And how, as a result, does he speak about and view himself? And how, as a result, does he speak about and view his Lord, Jesus? Look at verse 19. I served myself? No. I serve the Lord. How? With great humility and with tears. Although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. I think first of all we see there that Paul served as he describes his Lord. That is his King. And it's important, isn't it, to remember, right, let's get the Gospel in there, that as Christians we're not just to accept Jesus as our Saviour. We don't accept Jesus' death for our sins in our place on the cross. But as a Christian, we are ones who accept Jesus as Lord of our lives. Which means we listen to his voice. Of course we mess up sometimes. Yes we do. But a Christian is someone who repents, who turns back and asks Jesus for forgiveness. And does everything that they can to follow him. His ways as shown in his word, the Bible. It's a choice that we've got to face every day, isn't it? We either listen to his voice making him Lord, 
as shown in his word, the Bible, or we listen to our own sinful natures and follow our own voices and go our own way, doing things our way. Well, we see here in Ephesian elders were recalling in their minds how Paul serves his Lord. How? There's a few things down there, isn't it? Firstly, with great humility. Do you see that? And sometimes that's translated um, with great humiliation. And throughout the book of Acts, you've seen that he has been humiliated for his letting the gospel be known. He was imprisoned, he was beaten, he was flogged. Secondly, we see with tears. He served the Lord despite the physical and the emotional pain that he knew it would bring. Thirdly, with testing. Verse 19, you see there, by the plots of the Jews, the very people that should have been accepting him. I guess we can glean from that. This is not an easy lifestyle to live. Keeping going with the gospel is not the easiest way to live in this world. But it is the best way. Fourthly, Paul served his Lord, verse 20, you see there, by preaching and declaring what? The good news about Christ. Now, you you get from the the whole picture of that, that the way that Paul served his Lord took him outside the realms of comfort, didn't it? And you see in verse 21, Paul declares the gospel message to everyone he meets. You see the term there, both Jews and Greeks. Not just those he felt most comfortable with. Not just his friends, his mates, those you, you, know, you socialise with, go out for a beer with, play sport with. It was everyone. Paul served his Lord and he submitted himself to God who was king, who was Lord of everything. Despite pain, despite the tears, despite the uncomfortable conversations and making the gospel clear, Paul served his Lord. He didn't just talk about peripheral things, oh, I went to church. No, he explained the gospel of which they learned about at church. Paul served the Lord and therefore he submitted himself to his Lord. I don't know about when you submit yourself to God. How does that make you feel or view yourself? Uh, let me give a bit of an illustration to kind of show where Paul was thinking here. I don't, if, if you jump on a bus, I don't know if you, any of you jump on buses to get to work or let's think tube or something like that. You, know, you submit yourself to the power of that bus, don't you? You don't jump off the bus at your destination and congratulate yourself from getting from point A to point B. That would be ridiculous, wouldn't it? Rather, if anyone's going to get any praise, any congratulation, it should be the bus driver or the bus itself for getting you that distance in that time. See, when you submit yourself to Jesus, that is Jesus, let's recall, who laid down his life on a cross for our sins, taking that punishment that our sins deserve and having his perfect life counted to us. See, when you submit to yourself to Jesus as your Christ and Lord, you recognise that he is the only one who can get you from point A to point B. And at that point having submitted yourself to him as king, how does that make you view yourself? How does that make you feel about yourself? Well, Paul put it this way in summary in verse 24. It made him conclude, I consider my life worth nothing. I don't know about you, but when you look at Jesus, and I look at Jesus, I'm in utter awe for what he did for each one of us on the cross. And then I look at my rubbish life and I just think, nothing. And Paul is just doing that. 
Well, you've got to remember, this guy's an apostle. He's a great man of God, appointed. He's seen the risen Lord Jesus Christ. He's been you know, given the authority to be a, a, an apostle. He's a, a very, very educated man. And at one point, he was a very, very powerful man. Just look at Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where he began the persecution. But with all that perspective that he has, with Jesus as his Lord, serving him as Lord, he can say, I consider my life worth nothing to me. And I have to say, what about you? I guess it's the reason that most of us will struggle ever to speak about ourselves in such a humble and lowly way is because all we hear in the culture around us, like in The Apprentice and all of those other kind of things, is big yourself up, massage that CV, speak as highly of yourselves as you possibly can, flatter yourselves but we must not deceive ourselves we can't be like those characters you know, Britain's Got Talent I really do not like that programme but my boys do so I watch it to be a good father <laughs> you know those kind of characters whose grannies told them they're a great singer and then their mums their parents have told them they're a great singer and they stand in front of a microphone and dogs begin to howl um, we can't be like those people. We can't deceive ourselves before a holy God. We are very simple, very lowly creatures of an awesome creator. And it is only when you consider yourself as nothing will you begin to consider that the Lord Jesus Christ is everything. And like Paul, you will be- then want to begin to serve and pro- Proclaim the one worth serving and the one worth proclaiming. And that is not you or me. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. So firstly, um, Paul, what he's doing here, he's looking back. He's asked the elders to recall his life and work amongst them. That is, he served his Lord and not himself. And concluding that, He can therefore say, humbly say, I consider my life worth nothing to me because Christ is everything. Now he looks to the future. He's looked to the past, now he looks to the future. Verse 24, just summary again. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. What? If only I may finish the race. If only I may finish the race. So our second point is on your sheets there. If only I may finish the race. Now you well know, we looked in Hebrews 12, uh, just a couple of months back, that the Christian life, life is regularly paralleled, isn't it, with a, with a race, and a long distance race, a marathon. We're not going to be kind of a same bolt, you know, kind of 9.69 seconds of effort for a, an eternity of glory. Uh, you will know, um, a good friend of ours, um, who hasn't been in church for a while, so do pray for Erica. Um, Erica's an, uh, kind of a, an ultra-marathon runner, isn't she? I mean, I think she's clinically insane, but um, she knows that I think that about her. But the shortest race that she runs is 100 miles. That's just bonkers. She's just got back from the Sahara um, and running six days in 50 degree heat. Now, I have to say, that is more representative of the Christian life, of the Christian race that's being spoken of here. It requires endurance, that is. And I guess some of us need to get into training right now for what may lie ahead. 
Because this race of the Christian life, the little sub-point here, is a race that may include hardship and loss. A race that may include hardship and loss. Might you cast your eyes down verse 22? And now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. Now perhaps in this country we don't really know what hardships in these terms look like. But I wonder, is that because we live in a free democratic country? Or is that because we're afraid and we don't tell enough people about the Lord Jesus Christ? We just don't cause a stir enough. When did you last tell someone the gospel? You know what that is? That because of their rebellion, their sin, the Bible describes it, against God, that they will face God in all his justice. And all of us are deserving of that. And we are all deserving of an eternity of his justice. And the Bible horrifyingly calls that hell. But the gospel, the good news, is that God in his love, not his justice, but in his love, has sent his one and only beloved Son to die on a cross for our sins in our place. And if we put our trust in him, in him alone, we cannot be hell-bound, but rather heaven-bound for eternity, knowing only God's love. That's the gospel. When did you last tell someone the gospel? Now, when you do, you'll soon realise that the Christian life may involve a few hardships. Perhaps a bit of mockery, bit of bullying maybe. I guess you might even lose some friends. But remember, beginning of verse 24, if you consider your life worth nothing to you, that won't matter too much. I'm going to read a little bit then from a book which I actually read last summer on, on holiday and I recommend it wholeheartedly to anyone here. It's called A Fistful of Heroes. John Pollock, a great Christian biographer, has summarised um, all of his books, I think. I think he's done about 28 biographies into 28 small summary chapters of those biographies. So if you want a, sort of a little toe into Christian biographies, this is a great, a great book. It's about nine pages on each of the 28 characters. Let me introduce you to James Chalmers, who considers his life worth nothing to him, very obviously. Christ was everything to him, so much so that him and his friend Oliver Tompkins travelled from the comfort of their very affluent lives in Britain. And they went to Papua New Guinea. I think that's just north of Australia, isn't it? Anyway, there we go. I'm looking at the diplomat, is that right? Yeah, thank you. Um, within one, one week of arriving, uh, they went to a tribe uh, of cannibals um, who threatened to eat them. Chalmers would not relent and would not give bribes, as was customary, uh, but just preached the gospel. They didn't eat them. And for the next 13 years, he went around island after island, teaching tribe after tribe the gospel. 13 years later, on Easter Sunday, the 7th of April, 1901, Thomas Chalmers and Oliver Tompkins arrived at this new tribe called the Dubu. Let me tell you what happened. Chalmers knew nothing about the new Dubu, but he was ready, as always, to die for the name of the Lord Jesus. Young Tompkins had no fear of death either. The boat reached ashore while the chief and most of the mission boys stayed on guard. That's converts in Papua New Guinea who were helping out. Um, the, uh, the two accepted the, the invitation to enter the Dubu for refreshment. They sat down on the floor... Chalmers cracking jokes with his new neighbours and as always praying in his heart to the companion, Jesus, whose Easter message he brought. 
All around him in the fading light were piles of human skulls at the feet of coarse wooden images. Two swift blows from behind by stone clubs. Two cassowary bone daggers swiftly plunged into the gullets of the white men. While the mission boys were set upon and murdered, the heads of Chalmers and Tompkins were severed from their bodies. They were stripped, deftly cut into joints and passed to the women to be cooked and mixed with sago, a spice, I think. To the Western world, when the news came, the Easter massacre seemed a foul and obscene ending to two lives of goodwill. One famous and honoured, Chalmers. One young and promising, that's Tompkins. To the people of the village, the cannibal feast was the prelude to their eventual discovery of Christ. To Chalmers and Tompkins, it was a painless transition from Easter faith to the Easter presence. They were with their Lord and Saviour. The warning is that the Christian life, the life, this race, may include hardship. Paul also uh, reminds us that it may include loss. Look at verse 25. Now I know that none of, you, uh, none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. You see, Paul knew very much that in serving Christ, in obeying Christ, he was going to be taken from his friends and plunged into ever more dangerous and hostile situations to proclaim the gospel. And that might not be the case for you. You may remain in Illsville for the rest of your life, but it might be true for you. And the question is, are you fit enough? Paul has mapped out this future reality of making Christ everything and making Christ known. And what he does now, it's comfort in some sense, is he uses his example of his life so he's showing how to run this race. Uh, if we we're going to run well, he, he shows us, verse 26 and 27, I've summarised it saying, uh, we need to race with a clear conscience. Look at verse 26. Therefore I um, declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. You say, we may be in the race of the Christian life, that is, we trusted in Jesus' death for us, on the cross for our sin, but we have a choice, don't we, as Christians? We can run this race with a clear conscience or with, as he says, blood of all men. Essentially, have blood on our hands. And he is innocent of that blood. I don't know, let me illustrate it, I suppose. Have you ever been given an opportunity by God in a conversation with a friend? Maybe at work, maybe at drinks, maybe socialising, whatever it may be. You You have a clear opening to speak about Jesus, to explain the gospel. And what have you done? If you're like me, you might have gone to the weather. You might have talked about work and the difficulties there. But basically you've wimped out. You've given up. And Paul is saying here, guys, look at my example. This is what serving the Lord looks like in this race of the Christian life. See, Paul, from here, we never missed a chance to graciously tell people the gospel. He never hesitated, worrying what they might think. Because he was nothing, and Christ was everything. You see, if we're to keep going with with this gospel, trusting it and proclaiming it, we are not to look at those around us and be fearful of what they might think and say. But rather we're to look at the examples of people like Paul, and we're to look at Christ and say, he's everything, and I'll do everything for him. That is, we're to run not with fear, but with a clear conscience, not with blood on our hands. 
Remember, I can, verse 24 again, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race, and now lastly, complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Very quickly to finish. That last point, and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. See, Paul has looked back, hasn't he? He's, he's asked the Ephesian elders to recall his life and his ministry amongst them. That is that he had Jesus as his Lord. He served Jesus, knowing Jesus was everything, and therefore he considers his life worth nothing. Then he's looked forwards to the race that lies ahead. There have been warnings about hardships and the loss that might come in that race. But there's also been comfort and encouragement that we're to take every opportunity in this race, running with clear conscience. And lastly now, what Paul does, he's looked past, gone to the present, he, he's now looking to today. What about now, as you walk out those doors? You see, the past and the future ought to shape now, the present. How as Christians are we going to complete the task the Lord Jesus has given us today? Well, firstly Paul warns, verse 28 to 31, very quickly, keep watch, be on your guard. Firstly, the leaders are to keep watch of themselves. Elders, we need to watch our, our life and our doctrine carefully. Secondly, they are, the leaders are to keep watch over their flock, those in the church that they are responsible for. It is a big responsibility, and trust me, the leaders do pray for all of us regularly. Why though? Why is it a big responsibility? Because we see there it's Jesus' church. It was bought with his blood through his death on the cross. Therefore it is a precious commodity. And anything that is precious is also precarious. That happens in anything in life. And here we see it's precarious because savage wolves, we, we know from elsewhere in the Bible, that he's talking about false teachers will come along and they'll do anything they possibly can to eat away at that church. And we also see from within, Paul warns in verse 30, that people would distort the truth for their own gain, for their own following, watering down the truth or adding to the truth. Be on your guard, Paul says. How serious is the warning? Look at verse 31. He's warned them day and night for three days. I think it's quite serious. But what does that practically look like for you and I? I'll give you a silly example. Um, if I were to give you ten of my favourite sheep to look after, we're talking flock here, you know, let's use the parallel there. And if I were to ask you to guard those sheep, oh, what might you do? You might make a fenced area for the sheep, mightn't you? And you might walk around the perimeter and, and guard it with a gun or whatever it may be. And if a wolf came along, you'd shoot it and whatever it may be. There would be no point, though, would you, walking around the perimeter of that fence and, and protecting those sheep. And after a few days, just sort of peering in into, inside this fenced area and seeing ten dead sheep because you hadn't fed them. You see, keeping on guard, one part of it is, is watching the perimeter, making sure people don't come in and distort the truth and, and come and eat the, the savage wolves and so on. But there is no point in letting the sheep die of starvation. They need feeding. And likewise, we need to be discerning and vigilant against wolves, predators, false teaching from without and from within. But we need, we need to be protected and we also need to protect, yes, but we also need to be fed. We need to remain strong under that protection. 
So we need to feed on the Word, the word of God daily. See, if you're going to complete the task today, the task of testifying to the Gospel of Grace, you need to be protected, but you also need to be strong under that protection. And the Word of God needs to be right there at the tip of your tongue, so when you get those opportunities, you can speak it clearly and faithfully. So be on your guard. Keep watch. Secondly, verse 32 35. Keep telling others the gospel. Very briefly on this. I, I say this, I'd love to spend more time on it. it. I say it very briefly. It solves so many problems when you keep telling people the gospel. But when you actually start telling others about Jesus, it's amazing how enriched your life can become. See, things that are problems, struggles in your life can seem so less important. You moan so much less. You, your life is so much happier, more joyful when you are testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Now hear me right, it doesn't make anything go away. But what it does is it puts things into perspective. Because you begin to see the gospel work in people's lives and it's thrilling when you do. That message of grace Paul committed to the elders in verse 32 is the same message that we proclaim today. But hear the wisdom at the end of verse 35. Yes, he's speaking of protection of uh, the, the weak and the vulnerable, but also in the context of speaking of the gospel, it is more blessed to give and to receive. So please hear the words of Jesus and begin to give. If you're going to complete the task for Christ in this life, then keep watch. Keep telling others, because it is such a privilege. And lastly, Keep going with the gospel. Just those last few verses, 36 to 38. What an amazing end they are. I I suppose, you picture the scene, you see that there's tears in the eyes of Paul here. But like, I I use a parallel of sport because I like sport. Any good sportsman will know that to do sport well, you just do the basics well. Every sport that applies to, do the basics well. And I think that's what Paul's doing here. I mean, he knelt down with the men. That is, he, he had a bunch of guys that he was accountable with. He had blokes to keep him sharp to, in this race of the Christian life. And look what he did with them. He prayed with them. That is, together, these, these band of brothers for Christ depended on their Lord for whatever lay ahead. Uh, look at also, they wept, embraced, and kissed each other. I guess from that we say that they were not afraid to express their emotions, their fears, their worries, their concerns. But look what he did. Everything in him, I guess at that point, was saying, I want to stay here with these Ephesian elders, these guys I love. But what did Paul do? They accompanied him to the ship. That is, he got on the boat. Everything in him wanted to stay there, but he kept on proclaiming the saving message of the gospel of Christ. Why? Verse 24. I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. I end this question to myself and to you. Can you say that? Let's pray.
Heavenly, Heavenly Father, in this world where we're encouraged daily to think so highly of ourselves and so lowly of you. Please work by your word and by your spirit now to turn that around. Uh, to think so much of you and your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and what he's achieved on the cross for us. And to think lowly of ourselves, such, such that we don't want to serve ourselves, that we want to serve you. Yes, continuing to work in our workplaces, continuing to, to live the lives that we do, but ultimately being directed by you through your word and by your spirit. Why? So that we may finish this race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given us, the privilege of sharing this good news, which ultimately leads us to an eternity with you, face to face. Lord, we long for that day. But let us be bold and keep us proclaiming the gospel that will enable others to see you face to face. Amen.